This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hub. We are joined now by Michael Goodwin. He's a New York Post columnist and a Fox News contributor. He's got a whole bunch of pieces here on the Post and Fox News we're going to talk about. Michael, appreciate you calling in. Uh, My pleasure, Buck. Let's start with how Trump should handle Comey and the FBI, your piece on Fox News. How should he handle it? Well, look, I I think that... uh... The issue of the FBI, he needs to look at it more deeply, and I think he needs to wait until Sessions is confirmed and and gets his team together there. Because, Buck, I think throughout the government, throughout whether it's the FBI, the CIA, uh, the White House, which is now gone, thankfully, but I think these these Obama holdovers, uh, there's been an enormous amount of leaking going on of what should at least, some of which is classified material and some of, much of which should be confidential material, such as FBI investigations. And when you look at the summer issues uh, that just are still going on, frankly, with these investigations of the Russians and the Trump campaign, how is it that every news organization seemed to be getting information from the FBI about what it was investigating, uh, whether it was General Flynn, whether it was a, a Trump trip to Moscow. Uh, all of these thing, things seem to have been known to the news media, uh, and they really could have changed the election. And something was going on there. There is a tremendous amount of leaking of information. And look, uh, as a journalist, you know, I have benefited from government leaks from time to time in my career. But we're talking here about information that could have changed the presidential election. Who was leaking that and why? And so I think before Trump makes any commitments to anybody in those areas, this needs to be sorted out because this was a real breakdown of not just tradition and protocol, but of real ethics. And perhaps and I, I, I would agree with you, Michael. And as somebody, I had a TS uh, TS clearance for for many years, and I still remember the background investigation process. And they talked; to, they were wandering around. There were people in suits wandering around my college campus, wandering around my hometown, other places that I had lived, asking neighbors, asking just you know, people who may have known me uh, in in a, in a pretty vague way anything about me that goes into a file now that's not necessarily used as derogatory information against me for the clearance process unless it's something that would stop me from getting a clearance and also is verifiable 
I just want to point out to everybody listening that the the press is running with this assumption that well, it's fine to just release. Uh, it's fine to release inf- information like Flynn's phone call to a Russian ambassador. Uh, there are limits to these things. Just because the FBI has looked at something or heard something doesn't mean that it should be publicly disclosed because it has an inherently defamatory effect. The raw FBI files for background investigations, I think, would be a great example of this. Tons of unproven, you know, they ask ex-girlfriends and boyfriends and ex-husbands and wives, and that stuff shouldn't be aired publicly by the Bureau, but that seems to me to be the lack of rules that we're seeing here, the lack of ethics with some of the leaks against Trump. Absolutely. And look, I think we should distinguish that when the FBI, say, on the Clinton stuff, went into court uh, for, uh, for authorizations and things like that, and some of this leaked out, that's a different matter when they go into court and there is a public record. But even on Clinton, prior to that, we knew a heck of a lot more about the FBI investigation. Now, some of this, look, not every case is the same. For example, what Clinton was doing, uh, how she publicly lied, I think led to a lot of calls that she be investigated. So it was not so unusual that there was an investigation would be known. But I think we're, we're talking here about other things that, that nobody knew about, save the FBI, and that they became public anonymous, through anonymous sources, all of which have to trace back to the Justice Department. So I, I think this is a real serious issue. I mean, the same with the IRS, that we know what they did, that certain tax forms were released of conservative groups, that groups were withheld from their getting the proper tax status for political reasons. So you had a corrupting, I believe, of a lot of the government that if it's not going to be uh, held to a high standard of, of law, then I think it really erodes even further public trust and public cynicism. So these are big decision, decisions Donald Trump has about these people, and I would hope that he would not just uh, sort of reflexively sign off on keeping people because it's convenient uh, without really knowing the culpability in, at the FBI in particular. Team, we're speaking to Michael Goodwin. He's a New York Post columnist. You can read his latest at NewYorkPost.com. Michael, did you see the, the, I really want to call it a rumor, although I guess it's a story because it's been published, it's out there, that they may replace Sean Spicer now because Trump is upset? This, to me, just seems like the kind of rumor-mongering that is just intended to hobble the administration in its earliest days. There's also a piece in the Washington Post about how angry Trump was and all the infighting. I want to know who the source, I mean, I know I can't know, but to me, the sources for this stuff automatically would seem sketchy. Who at the top echelon of the Trump administration is talking to the Post to say bad things about the Trump administration? And given all the stories that have had to be retracted in the Post recently, I look at this with a very skeptical eye. I just wanted your take on on both of those uh, notions, that Spicer may be replaced and that the administration is in disarray at the top levels, according to the Washington Post. Yeah, well, look, the New York Times had a similar story yesterday about uh, AIDS upset with Trump. I mean, really? I mean, they're, they're going to the New York Times to voice their displeasure? Well, I mean, I don't think the Times, as bad as it is these days, I don't think they're making these things up out of whole cloth. So somebody is clearly talking. Now, look, I, I, I did consider this yesterday, Buck, and it may be that this is the this is the way this administration is going to work, that to get the president's attention as to how serious something is, it has to become public. Um, 
it has been said of Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, that he doesn't know anything until he reads it in the papers. Um, it may well be that, that Donald Trump, this is how Kellyanne Conway and others remember during the, uh, during the transition where she was out there openly mocking uh, the idea that Mitt Romney would be Secretary of State. It looked like she was going rogue. Uh, but maybe that is how Trump gets his information. I don't know. It, we're very early in all this. It's hard to figure out what is, what is true and what, what really is just the opening uh, salvo. But I do think there is, there's got to be a tighter ship, not just in the White House in the beginning, but, but also in all these agencies. So it is a big issue that uh, Trump is going to need an enforcer. Somebody in-house is going to have to ride herd on this stuff, and heads are going to have to roll if people are, are violating this, because there is a level of confidence. If the, if the president cannot talk to his aides without reading about it the next day, that's something you see when an administration, whether it's a mayor or a president, is sinking, not when their first day in office. Uh, Kellyanne Conway spoke to this issue. I wanted to get your reaction to it, uh, Michael. Let's just play okay. that clip. Kellyanne Conway with the media saying they're not being reporters. Play it. His inaugural speech was uplifting. It was unifying. He said, our brown and black and white soldiers all bleed the patriots' red, red blood. He said that if you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. Now, if people want to scoff at that and dismiss it, that's on them. And if they want to call themselves journalists and reporters, they ought to think about what they're really doing. If they snark, if they roll their eyes, if their Twitter feed is filled with a 92% anti-Trump screed, they're not being reporters. They're being opinion columnists. They're being professional political hacks and pundits. And we have a right to call that out. What do you think about that, Michael? Completely agree. Uh, I mean, I, it has been a favorite topic of mine, and I, and I don't think, uh, but that a lot of uh, readers or, or, or non-readers anymore of newspapers understand the difference that uh, reporters, straight news reporters, are supposed to report the news straight. They're not supposed to tilt it. Uh, opinion columnists are entitled to their opinion. That's what they're hired for. Uh, but they've also can't ignore the facts and can't create facts. So I think she's on solid ground. Uh, this has been an issue throughout the campaign. I mean, you look at the headlines on the New York Times front page and the Washington Post, all of those are opinion pieces in what should be straight news spots in the paper. There are not supposed to be opinion pieces on the front page, but they are there every day and they have been for, for virtually the last year when it comes to Donald Trump. Everything he does is seen, uh, is judged to be bad. That's an My, opinion. Michael, I want to ask you, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you one last one here, and I, you've given us a lot of time today. We appreciate it. It's Michael Goodwin, everybody, of the, of the New York Post. The media lost a lot of credibility when it comes to objectivity over the course of this last election. The anti-Trump hatred from, as you point out, the front pages, the news sections of major papers and from the news broadcasts of major networks, including you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, seemed so anti-Trump and so obviously so that some were, were thinking there might be a correction, there might be an effort to go back to the center. I haven't seen that at all. I've seen a doubling down against Trump. I just wanted, as, as a veteran journalist, your opinion as to whether you think, is that subconscious or do you think they've just made the decision, no, we are the anti-Trump resistance, we're just going to own it? 
that, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I think that there is in this a – we shouldn't discount the personal. You know, Tip O'Neill's great line that all politics are local. Uh, I think a lot of journalism is personal, and a lot of these people don't like Trump. It's mutual. But they don't have the privilege of sneering at him and condemning him in, if they are just news writers, news reporters, and, and even as columnists. It should not be a personal issue. And, but unfortunately it is because you see it in the contrast uh, of today's reports out of the White House. I think the most significant event of yesterday uh, if you, in a purely political sense, but also looking forward to Trump's administration, was his meeting with the union leaders, who all cheered him for pulling out of the TPP, uh, and who came out of there and said it was an incredible meeting, they are excited about it, they are looking forward to working with him to putting American men and women back at work. Now, every one of these union leaders endorsed Hillary Clinton. There they were with the president acting as though he's the president now and he's going to do things that are good for us, our members, and we are with him on those things. Now, that seems to me to be a huge event, but you will be hard-pressed to find that in the media today. That got second, third, tenth fiddle because it wasn't, it didn't fit, as Kellyanne Conway and Sean Spicer have said, the narrative of the media, which is Trump is bad, Trump is evil, Trump is no good. Anything he does, we must condemn it. So when he does something good, they, they can't condemn it. They have to hide it. That's the nature of the beast. Michael Goodwin is a New York Post columnist and Fox News contributor. You can read his latest. Don't believe the tweets. Trump is one cool customer and Trump punches establishment right out of the gate, both on NewYorkPost.com. Michael, thank you so much. My pleasure, Buck. Thank you. Team, we'll be back right after this break. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Work. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. All right, we got a call in from John. What's up, John? Hello? Yes, sir. You're on radio. Everyone can hear. What's up? Oh, oh okay. I was listening to you for a while on the speakerphone. That's why I didn't want to. Uh... I don't know if I was talking to you yet. Okay. Yeah, I like those last two guys you had on. They pretty much made the point I wanted to make. But uh, you said something yesterday about, like, be kind of being pushed into the Trump bunker. Uh, I don't think Trump's ever really been in the bunker. I mean, I think the rest of the country that, you know, is not the crazy part anyway. As the ones, you know, I own a business. I have a pond on my property. I own guns. And, you know, I've, we've been getting attacked for the last uh, however many eight years Obama's been in office every which way, you know, trying to deal with Obamacare in my business and 
try to deal with. Yeah, and you turn on the news, and like they were saying, it's you know if it's not just a little slanted all the time, it's outright. You know, if they really need to destroy somebody, they'll go out and, and do it. And they do it in such a way that it's not like mono or mono. They come here, they pass some law to charge you a hundred thousand dollars a day because you because your pond doesn't run off the right way or something. They go after your business, and they you know they make rules that put you out of business. Uh, stupid rule about having to have five bathrooms for everybody. Oh, just dumb stuff. But you know, I, th- I think I think Trump is. Uh, I think he's brought uh, most of us out of our bunkers. I think he's riding the lead tank into uh, D.C. and people are actually following him. And they and they see this stuff. And they they, they they've gotten madder and madder through the years. About so I mean, are are you in the bunker the with me, John? Or I'm not really. I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm kind of like poking around, like taking a look at the bunker. I'm not sure. I'm I'm setting up shop there. But I'm just saying, I feel increasingly like I want. I increasingly like I have to hop into the trenches with Team Trump because the other side's just not playing fair, and they're trying to take all of us out. I mean, they're trying to take out conservatism along with Trumpism, and they will stop at nothing. And the media has just, they've just lost their minds. They have lost their collective minds over the Trump administration. They have, and and like I said, they've been and they've been pushing the, uh, that left wing agenda for a long time. And I I'd like to, I like some of the stuff he's doing. Like I I can see you calling in to a White House briefing on Skype someday instead of having CNN. I turn on I, every morning. I watch a little bit of CNN, a little bit of MSNBC, and a little bit of uh, Fox News. And it's just amazing. I mean, all they're talking about on CNN is how somebody might have standing to sue Trump on like the first day in office about something. Oh, the emolu- the emoluments clause. Oh, they they, they couldn't get else. Comey on the Hatch Act, and they couldn't get uh, they couldn't get Flynn on the Logan Act. So now they might get Trump on the emoluments clause. I mean, it's just pathetic. They're citing law. They're citing laws that nobody even really knows if they're laws or if they would if they would survive. I and mean, the Hatch Act is, but the other ones haven't even been used. They wouldn't survive constitutional scrutiny. The Logan Act wouldn't, and the emoluments clause. <laughs> it's not applicable here. So yeah, I know, oh, it's, it's, it's just it's not exactly. Oh God, that's all I can say. I mean, it's just, I'm just glad somebody's trying to do something. I don't know that he'll do everything. I think he should do, but I I, I really think that people are are coming. You know, they're coming out. They're realizing that now I can actually speak my mind a little bit without you know having you know people jumping on me and nobody to support me or come up behind me and uh, you know, help me out. I, I think that's I think that's a lot of the reason why he got elected in the first place. People just got tired right. of the pilot. I hear you, man. John, thank you for calling in, buddy. We're going to head into a break here, but Shields High, I appreciate it. Uh, here is, you guys, so you've got a, if you mentioned the emoluments clause, I don't think I've brought it up yet on the show. So there's a lawsuit underway that some liberal, you know, this is how liberals just love to sue over everything. I mean, they, they sue for the purpose of suing a lot of the time. That's the difference. Yeah, Republicans use the courts, too, but liberals will sue when they have no, no prayer of winning. Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Oh, what a, what a nice little name they have. Uh, it's a, they say that the clause that prohibits Trump-owned businesses from accepting pay, they say the clause rather prohibits, prohibits Trump-owned businesses from accepting payments from foreign governments so this would mean as, as a side note that any anybody who was part of any global corporation and then wanted to run for office and owned any shares in that corporation you could argue would be barred from holding public office i mean the private sector is just not really a place you're going to get any politicians from which is not a good idea um so the emoluments clause is 
from Article 1 of the Constitution. Note, here's, I'm going to read it to you so you got it. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States, and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present emolument, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. All right, well, he's not accepting... A, a, a title or an office from a foreign state, despite them saying that he's a KGB agent and whatever, even though the KGB doesn't exist anymore. The people who come up with these theories don't care about reality. Uh, but ex- presence for the, for the record, the president does accept little gifts. So there are some there are some exceptions to this. What they're saying is a foreign government can't buy you off or make you a prince or a king while you're president. No one's buying Trump off. And he's resigning from his company and his children are going to be running it. There, it's just not – there's no way uh, – the Washington Post says it's uncertain if Trump is violating the emoluments clause. Uh, their logic is the clause prohibits Trump from taking any money at all from a foreign state. So that includes services rendered. Yeah, so that means you can't be in international business. Ridiculous. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Among the things that President Trump is tackling his first days in office, manufacturing, automakers, made in America. Uh, We've talked a bit about Trump's projections for what he can do for the economy. Uh, He spoke about America first in uh, in his inaugural address. I think it's so interesting. People always like to go back to Lindbergh and they, they inherently or they automatically want to suggest that America America First has the anti-Semitic tinge of the America First uh, America First movement in World War II. Can't we, uh, Trump, I, I believe, is trying to take back America First just because that's a good way to say things. <laughs> he has no... When Trump says America First, he, he does not mean, and it is not a dog whistle, and there's no reason to believe otherwise, that he's trying to bring back the America First non-interventionist passivism of the Second World War that was trying to keep us out of that war. And it was a group that, yes, did have some prominent anti-Semites, although, you know, Woodrow Wilson was a huge anti-Semite. I mean, there's a lot of anti-Semites back in the day that were not pushed out of the public view. So it's not surprising that some large large political group, I think it had 600,000 people that were members of it uh, back in the day I, I, from what i read i'm doing this off the cuff as you know but america first for trump just means america first means a prioritization of the american people american citizens uh, their rights their prosperity their future their livelihoods and part of that is to bring some manufacturing back to this country now there's manufacturing that's never coming back i know a thing or two from friends of mine who work in for example the fashion industry you're just not going to have, unless you're going to have full automation and a government that is involved in the supply chain, and you're not going to have a huge return of the textile industry to America because wages are just cheaper and product is cheaper to get in some of the countries that currently manufacture a lot of this stuff. So there are some industries that won't come that aren't coming back here, and that's fine. Uh, there are others though where maybe we could make some inroads and when it comes to the automotive industry 
Notice the way that when when notice the way the media covered things when Obama, in a very uh, Caesar like I hesitate to say Caesarian because that everyone always thinks of the you know the special way that babies are are born, uh, but the Caesar Caesar like therefore like the salad the the Caesar like way that Obama decided to save the auto industry because it would look good or save a few companies and save a few major American automotive companies. What he really did was just prevent them from going through a normal bankruptcy proceeding. The bondholders who were supposed to get money back first were in violation of contract, in violation of understood law, pushed to the side. The American taxpayer uh, bailed out the United Auto Workers Union and others. And there was some stabilization of the auto industry that occurred. But you could have done a structured bankruptcy that would have gotten rid of, oh, that's right, some of the labor contracts that were in place and brought them more into line with competitive wages. The, the way that it was sold to us, though, is, you know, Obama, with a cape on his shoulders and a big S on his chest, flew in, saved the auto industry. He's awesome. Bin Laden is dead. And GM is alive. Rah, rah. I saw zero. I was watching Zero Dark Thirty last night with my uh, brother, and really good movie. I think it's very well done. I really enjoy it. People always ask me what's the best movie you've ever seen about the CIA. Zero Dark Thirty for me. It's the only one that even gets it vaguely right. Until I know somebody in the agency who who actually has a watch with a laser in it that can cut through steel like butter. Uh, most of those movies don't really appeal to me that much, or they're in the realm of fantasy. I mean, James Bond is about as realistic as The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is awesome, and James Bond has made a few good movies. But in terms of realism, they might as well have Legolas and the elves joining alongside 007 while he's battling foreign terrorists. Uh, where was I? I just completely went off the. I just went off the rails on myself. Oh yeah, Trump in the auto industry. He's meeting with automakers. This just happened, and he had this to say. Share it, please. We're bringing manufacturing back to the United States big league. We're reducing taxes very substantially, and we're reducing unnecessary regulations. And we want regulations, but we want real regulations that mean something. Uh, Mark and I were together yesterday, and I think we understand that. We're going to make the process much more simple for the auto companies and for everybody else that wants to do business in the United States. I think you're going to find this to be from very inhospitable to extremely hospitable. Uh, I think we'll go down as one of the most friendly countries. And right now it's not. I mean, I have friends that uh, want to build in the United States. They go many, many years and then they can't get their environmental permit over something that nobody ever heard of before. And it's absolutely crazy. And I am, to a large extent, an environmentalist. I believe in it. But it's out of control. And we're going to make a very short process. All right, a part of this, a piece of this that Trump's talking about is tax reform. So why don't we get somebody on who looks at tax reform all the time? We've got Grover Norquist on the line. He's the president of Americans for Tax Reform, taxpayer advocacy group. He founded in 1985 at President Reagan's request. Grover, good to have you. Thanks for calling in. Buck, thank you. Absolutely. All right, so Trump is saying he's going to make things better for industry via the tax code. How can he do this? And do you think he will do this? Uh, he will do it for two reasons. One, he put out a very good tax proposal during uh, the debates, and there were 15, 16 fine proposals. He led the pack because he said the, the corporate tax, which is 35% in the United States, and the European average is 23 
and we have state taxes on top, state corporate income taxes. So it's really we're really at 40 percent European averages, 23. He said we're going to take the federal law to 15, and that would make the United States supercharged when it comes to competition. Now, the Republicans in the House had been working on something, too. They had it at 25. And they, as soon as 15 came out, they went to 20. So the House has been moving towards Trump's 15%. Uh, it'll be somewhere between 15 and 20. Uh, and then uh, Trump took a look at a very good idea in the House package, which is going to full expensing, so that business investment doesn't get depreciated over 5, 10, 20 years, but you expense it in year one. Tremendously reduces the cost of new investment and will help uh, create more jobs in the United States. So the Trump House Republican package that's now coming together, they've been moving towards each other for eight months now as they take the best out of each side. You're going to see full expensing, which will be a real shot in the arm on investment and plant and equipment, and a, the lower corporate rate, not just for what we call C-Corps, like General Motors, but S-Corps, a lot of small businesses, they've been paying at the personal rate as much as 44%. I've, been, I've got an entrepreneur in my family, Grover, who started a company from scratch, ground up, and whenever we sit around and talk about it, he's just like, all the government does is make things more difficult than throw hurdles in the way. We're, we're raising money, we're spending money, we're creating jobs, and all they want to do is tax us into basically tax us into submission, meaning they have to close their doors. They've got all these problems with dealing with the employment taxes and the regulations. This notion that the federal government is in any way favorable to small businesses uh, from a, from a member of my family, it is complete uh, horse hockey. It is nonsense. Absolutely. And one of the great reforms in this tax proposal that's being put together uh, now, and within 100 days, it'll be ready to go. Uh, out of the House and over to the Senate. So we're going to see this this year. This is not something that might happen. This is something that will happen. Trump is for it. The House is for it. The Senate's for it. They, you know, it's a lot of changes. So they're, they're quote-unquote details to be worked out. But we're going to have a top rate of 20% corporate. The individual rates are going to go from seven rates down to three rates, a top rate of 33. The corporate, the business rate for individuals will be 25, below 33. And we're going to see a territorial tax system, which means we tax activity in the United States and not try and tax outside our borders, which is the way all the other countries operate. So we are in a, a very strong position where an American company will be worth more than a foreign company. Right now, foreign companies that do the same thing American companies do are worth more because they have lower taxes. Than we do. It's, it's, I mean, we think of ourselves as a low-tax country. That hasn't been true for about 20 years now. And the Trump administration should be able, if, if Trump wants to do it, and the Republicans in Congress are going forward with it, because Trump's not going to veto it, and they can put the bill, they can put the yes. bill forward. They can sign it. I mean, Trump can sign it into law. Is there a way that Democrats can stop these things from happening that you say can happen? Uh, no, because it only takes 51 votes in the Senate. This is all people know that if there's a law change and to get rid of some of Obamacare, some of the regulations in Obamacare, it could take 60 votes. If it's a budget question, we can get rid of the trillion dollars of taxes that are in Obamacare. Obamacare is 20 taxes with a stethoscope staple to it. Um, we get rid of Obamacare. That's a trillion dollars abolished in taxes in a 10-year period, and then a lot of spending uh, as well. But um, 
you can do. Oh, wait, can I ask you, Grover? You've been doing this a long yeah. time, and this is important. Are, are you more optimistic about the tax situation in the United States changing in really important, impactful, and good ways now than you have been since the days of Reagan? Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. First of all, everything Reagan got through was there was a Republican Senate and a Democratic House. Tip O'Neill had a majority, and we were able to get two significant tax reforms, tax reductions through. Reagan got that through. But it took a long time. We gave away a lot of things we'd rather not give away. This time, the only compromising is between Trump, a Republican House, and a Republican Senate. Nobody asks Schumer what he thinks in order to compromise, because we don't need any Democrat votes to pass this. Now, some may come along. It's going to be very powerful, very popular tax cut when it gets done. But we don't need any Democrat votes. What we're doing is having a, quote unquote, deficit neutral budget moving forward. As long as it's deficit neutral after 10 years, um, it only takes 51 votes. That's that's why things can be done inside reconciliation that couldn't be done otherwise. And a lot of repealing Obamacare will be inside reconciliation. If it deals with taxes and spending, it can go. And we can even get rid of much, most of Dodd-Frank inside reconciliation. So how quickly do you go over last one for you? Because we're going to be running into a break here. How quickly do you think this can or will happen? Uh, Obamacare in the next two months, that that package will go through. And before June, July for the tax cut budget package. That's great. Okay, and you're optimistic. Oh, yes, yes. This though, this this is looking very, very good. There is a reason the left is grumpy. They should be grumpy. All right. I like it. Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform, ATR. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Good to have you. Thank you. Team, we're going to hit the break. Be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Our phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. Beautiful day to be alive. Light up those lines. Tell me about it. Or we can talk about the news, too. Whatever. Whatever you got going on. New York Post reporting on a follow-up to that story that was, I think the Washington Post broke it initially, although it's breaking a story that's really not a story. It's an interesting, an interesting conundrum. It's quite a situation, that is. FBI clears Michael Flynn in probe linking him to Russia. So we heard about the probe. We learned. We, everybody was Googling the Logan Act. What is this Logan Act of which you speak? Oh, it prevents a citizen from interfering in foreign policymaking, which you could say that any news network on any day is interfering with foreign policymaking by taking a position for or against the U.S. US foreign policy. Right? Uh, anytime we have a prime minister of a foreign country on a news channel and ask them questions, we could be seen as influencing U.S. OK, but I digress. Uh, the FBI has reviewed the intercepted phone calls between National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and the Russian ambassador to the U.S. and drumroll found no evidence of wrongdoing. Let me repeat that. Found no evidence of wrongdoing. Okay. So why was that such a big story? 
What exactly was the story? Soon-to-be NSA calls Russian ambassador. It's going to be ta- talking to the Russian ambassador all the time as the national security advisor. Talk to anybody he wants in any foreign government, really. So why was that a story? Oh, I remember, because it happened after the sanctions were imposed on the FSB by the Obama administration, kind of an 11th hour move to begin with. And the assumption was made, the assumption was made that it must be to undermine Obama's foreign policy, and maybe even that's illegal. That was the story that everybody was running with. You will recall, that's what we were being told at the time. Now, here's the thing about that. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, really. Now that Flynn has been cleared, now that we see that the FBI says there's nothing in these phone calls that was illicit or illegal, is anyone going to stop this Flynn is in the pocket of Russia? I, there's a lot of really harsh stuff being said about somebody who clearly is an imperfect human being. We, we all are. That's kind of a nonsense statement. You know what I mean. He's done a few things here and there that raise eyebrows, but this is somebody who was the head of the Department of uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency. This is a career military officer, a general. We think he's a traitor? I don't think so. So why all of the insinuations that he would betray his country for his Russian overlords? There's a lot of that going on. And if there's hard evidence, I'll be the first one to say, oh, yeah, we got to do something about this. But it's been based on conjecture. And now that we have more evidence that undermines the thesis of Trump as an FSB agent, I mean, sorry, of Flynn as an FSB agent, maybe we can start to see a change in the assessments that some have been making on this. Maybe. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.